0: want to invite you to open your Bible to Psalm chapter 1. Our plan is to get back to our study in 1 Timothy next week, but last week and this week we're taking just a short excursion in a couple of Psalms. This morning we'll be in Psalm 1. This past week Shelly and I had an opportunity to be down in Memphis, Tennessee uh, for a conference. We attended the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors annual conference, and it was really, really a rich time. Um, Wonderful time of uh, a lot of great teaching, a lot of good fellowship. Um, Came away encouraged and refreshed as we think about um, just the power of the word, the sufficiency of Christ in his word, and how we can expect... Uh, To open up his word and um, find what we need for life. Uh, Find out, find what we need to live lives uh, where we can enjoy God and uh, live for his glory. So it's good to be back with you here this morning. Psalm chapter 1. Why don't we pray before we begin? Lord, I'm grateful to you for. This time together, I'm thankful that you speak to us through your word. And I pray that as we look into Psalm 1 this morning, that you would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear. And I pray, Father, that as we listen to you, you would continue that work of changing us and growing us and molding us more and more into the image of your Son, I'm thankful for this body of believers. I'm thankful for each one. I'm thankful for young and old alike. I'm thankful that you know what is best for all of us. And you are able to do a work in us individually and together so that we would be a people united with our desire to see Christ exalted and you glorified. So Father, teach us now as we open up your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 1, I'm going to read it uh, and invite you just to follow along. uh, Psalm 1, beginning with verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. will perish. Well, let me begin by just asking you a couple of questions. One is, how many of you want to be happy? Anybody out there that doesn't want to be happy? I think we all want to be happy. Um, But the question really is, a follow-up to that. What is it that makes you happy? And that is certainly more revealing about our own lives and our own heart. It's important for us to think about who it is or what it is that makes you happy. Psalm 1 as a whole teaches you how to live a blessed life. Um, But what does it mean to have a blessed life. If you are blessed, you have God's favor upon you, and that is what makes you happy. Uh, One commentator says this, the formula, blessed is the man, evokes joy and gratitude as man may live in fellowship with his God. The word happy is a good rendition of blessed, provided One keeps in mind that the condition of bliss is not merely a feeling. Even when the righteous do not feel happy, they are still considered blessed from God's perspective. He bestows this gift on them. Neither negative feelings nor adverse conditions can take his blessing away, end of quote. So if you are blessed by God, then you have his favor upon you and you have, and and if you have his favor upon you, you have a happiness in him that runs deep and satisfies your soul more than anything else. So what we see in Psalm 1 is how to truly live a happy or blessed life. We also see here the kind of life that will not um, the, the kind of life that will not be happy or blessed. We see here in Psalm 1 a contrast um, between two ways to live. One is blessed and happy and the other is wicked. And today certainly my prayer is that um, this time in Psalm 1 will stir your heart. Um, in a way that finds happiness in Jesus. We learn several things here in Psalm 1. First, we learn that a wicked life is against God. Uh, Verse 1 begins by saying, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Uh, The word... The words wicked, uh, sinners, scoffers describe people who really stand against God. Uh, The theological word book of the Old Testament says this about wicked, and I quote, Wicked people are guilty of violating the social rights of others, for they're violent, they're oppressive, greedy, engaged in plotting against and trapping poor people and quite willing to to murder to gain their ends, end of quote. So in a word, that they threatened the community. They were dishonest in business and in the courtroom. And these people do that because they hate the Lord and they refuse, in fact, to serve the Lord, to worship the Lord. Now, sinners are people who miss God's mark. They miss God's standard of holiness and righteousness and justice the theological word book of the Old Testament says this um, uh, about the scoffer not just the wicked or the sinners but the scoffer or the mocker and I quote fools scorn and mock at sin and judgment the scorner himself may be described as proud and haughty unwilling to be corrected resistant to all reproof And hating any reproof. So, in short, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers are God haters, and that also translates into people being being people haters. Some certainly more obnoxiously than others. Some show their hatred of God by being outspoken against all of who God is and all of who what He stands for. Others show their hatred by God by simply ignoring the person and the will of God. In a much quieter way, hatred for God is shown when you make much more about you uh, and very little about God and what he wants and what he deserves. So by the very nature of who Jesus is as creator and sustainer of all life. And as Lord over all, it's highly offensive for people to live their lives. It's highly offensive to live their lives without submitting to and obeying and worshiping the true and living God. Verse one says that you are blessed if you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So you don't let the wicked impact your thinking. You don't accept their advice. You're blessed if you don't stand in the way of sinners. Um, So in other words, don't let sinners impact how you behave. Don't be party to their ways. You, You are blessed if you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't make scoffers the group of people you feel most comfortable with. Don't Adopt their attitudes and identity and way of living. Now, it it almost sounds like verse 1 is teaching us that other people are the main problem. It it sounds like we're good, they're bad, and if we can just avoid those who are bad, then we're going to be okay. But that's not what's going on here. What problem is verse 1 really addressing? It's not the wicked. It's not the sinners and the scoffers. The problem occurs when we want to identify with them. Verse verse 1 is confronting the desires of our own heart when we value the opinions of the wicked, when we want to live like sinners live, and when we want to fit in best with people who scoff at God. The the problem really isn't them. The problem is when we want to identify with them. So here's the point. You will find friends that reflect the desires of your heart. If you love self or if you love sin, you will find friends where your desires are met. If you love God, you will find friends that love God. So a wicked life is against God, but a blessed life desires God. Verse 1 gives us the negative to avoid, but verse 2 gives us the positive to pursue. Verse 2 says this, but his delight, that is, the one that is blessed uh, by God, Uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. So the blessed person or the happy person is the person that is pursuing God because he delights in God. Um, One dictionary defines delight like this. It is a high degree of gratification. It's extreme satisfaction, something that gives great pleasure. So what what is it that brings extreme satisfaction to the person who is blessed? It's the law of the Lord. And the law is instruction that comes from the Lord. In this, in this context, the law is really the whole of Scripture. So why does the happy man find extreme satisfaction from Scriptures? It's because... Jesus reveals himself to us through scripture, through the word. The, the Pharisees were self-righteous and they read the scriptures because they thought they might um, be able to obey them and have eternal life. But Jesus confronted them in John chapter 5 verse 39 and 40 and he said this. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures um, that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life, end of quote. So the happy or blessed man finds great pleasure in the Bible because in the Bible God is revealing, revealing himself Man. So if you desire God, you will desire his word. If you delight in the word, you will meditate on the word day and night. You will find your entire life wrapped around thinking about the Lord. Uh, who is he? What is he like? Uh, what has he done? What is he doing in your life now? What's his will for you in this life? Um, What does he deserve from you? What does he expect from you? Uh, If you love God, you will constantly want to think about everything in life from God's perspective. And you will only be able to do that when you understand what God says and reveals about himself and about life from his word. So if you love God, the Bible must be more than just a dust collector on your shelf. If you are a God lover, the Bible must be more than a book that you just carry to church. If you love God, you will find great pleasure and delight reading and thinking and obeying the Bible day and night. If God is important to you, his word will be equally important to you. Uh, Warren Weersby says it like this, and I quote, Meditation is to the soul what digestion is to the body. Um, I, I like that because meditation on the Word is what helps you get nourishment that your soul desperately needs for life. Weersby goes on, he says, Meditation means understanding the Word, chewing on it, and applying it to our lives, making... It is a part of the inner person. So, meditation is far more than simply having devotions every day. Meditation is what you love to think about. So, do you find yourself thinking about God and about what He says to you in His Word? Is your heart drawn to God? Do you have a desire to believe and do what is right in God's eyes? A blessed life desires God. Now, in addition, a blessed life is fruitful. Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and season, and its leaf does not wither. All, in all that he does, he prospers. So we see here really a beautiful picture of a fruitful life. Um, in summer, we know how important it is for rain to come and water the gardens and the crops and the flowers and the trees and the grass. Uh, we, we know that in the desert, when there isn't any rain, land is harsh and barren. But when God provides water, when there is a spring, even in the midst of a desert, things grow. Um, when we were in Israel... We were out in uh, the Judean desert, and um, there was a place that's referred to as the valley of the shadow of death, and it's desolate. But from a, a point where we were just off the road, we could see in the distance a patch of trees that were growing, and things were completely different there at that spot than they were Everywhere else we looked in this desolate place. And our guide informed us that the reason it looks that way is because there is a spring that has been flowing there for generations. And that spring that produces this this water um, causes all kinds of beautiful things to grow even in the midst of the desert. And that's the picture of a fruitful life. Delighting and meditating on the word is our oasis in the middle of that desert. It, it's amazing. It's utterly amazing to see trees and bushes just send out their roots far and wide for, for water. There's a place up in Door County uh, on the western side. When, if Shelly and I are up there, we have an opportunity to take a hike. And there's all kinds of bluffs. And, you know, you get to the edge of the bluff and you look over the edge. And, I mean, it's beautiful. The water is probably 40 or 50 feet down. But on the edges of this this bluff, there are trees that are growing out of rocks uh, all the time. And there are places where you can see those roots that will just... They will just go great distances to find water. Uh, there's, there's this thirst that must be satisfied. And that's a picture of the kind of heart, um, that the kind of life that will be fruitful, that, that hungers, that delights in God's Word, and it will produce good, good fruit. So what kind of fruit will be growing in the life of the one who is blessed. Um, one of, there, there are two, two, there's many different ways we could talk about this, but one of the things, all of Scripture, Jesus taught us, uh, all of the commands of Scripture can be summarized by two commands, love for God and love for people. And so if there is a hunger... Uh, for if we delight in God's word, if we hunger for God's word, if we're nourished by God's word, it will produce a fruitfulness, and that fruit in us will be evidenced by a growing love for God and love for people. And certainly, um, we benefit in, in the New Covenant understanding the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians 5 teaches us, that if we... We live by the Spirit if we're keeping in step with the Spirit. Some of the things that will be growing in our life will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Those are beautiful fruit. Uh, That's a beautiful life when those are the things that characterize us as individuals. Now, in sharp... Contrast to a fruitful life is we learn that a wicked life is wasted, um, and this is very sobering as as we walk through this verse four. The wicked are not so, or but like chaff that the wind drives away. Again, what a, what a contrast! Instead of a fruitful, prosperous life, the wicked are separated and and. And discarded. The the life that they pursued. The the life that the wicked pursued. That they thought was meaningful and fun. Is quickly and tragically lost. It's wasted. Um, Sin again and again makes bold promises. But it always disappoints. And always destroys in this lifetime. That's the consequence of sin. It brings hardship. It brings devastation. It brings brokenness. But what is displayed in this lifetime is not even the greatest concern. More tragically, a wicked life is judged by God. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's helpful to remember that the wicked Already stand condemned. John three eighteen says, "Whoever believes in him is whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God." And if they continue in that unbelief, they will also face final judgment and eternity in hell, suffering the weight consequence of sin in that eternal punishment. Again, what a tragic uh, contrast between a fruitful life and the life of the wicked. By contrast, verse 6 says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So a a blessed life is known by God. The idea of knowing is more than just mental recognition of facts or intellectual understanding in the scriptures knowing someone carries the idea of choosing and caring for someone. Jesus said in John 10 27 my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus also said to those who heard his words but didn't put them into practice he says this and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness. So if you are known by the Lord, you belong to the Lord and you will enjoy Him for all eternity. Um, That's reason to rejoice. That's reason to be happy. But here's the crucial question. According to verse 6, who who is it that is known by the Lord? Verse 6 says, the Lord... Knows the righteous. Now, in the context of Psalm 1, the righteous one is blessed. Uh, The righteous one does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. So, Psalm 1 contrasts the wicked. And the righteous, the righteous are blessed by God and known by God, the wicked are not. So herein lies the problem. If the Lord's blessing is on the righteous, we have to ask ourselves, am I righteous? Now, the scriptures say this about sinful man, there's none righteous, no, not one. For the first 20 years of my life, I very consistently fit the description of the wicked, sinner, and scoffer. I was a God-hater. I cared only about what mattered to me. I didn't care about God or what He wanted or deserved. I didn't care if I hurt people to get what I wanted. I mocked those who loved God. But thankfully, God rescued me from that. He saved me through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But I still, today, miss the mark. I don't always treat people the way that God treats me. I I wasn't righteous in my days before I was saved. And today, even though I am saved, I, I still don't act in righteous ways all of the time. I still get drawn towards sin. Today, there are still times I don't delight in God and His Word. Today, there are still times when I don't meditate on God's Word day and night. I wasn't righteous, and I'm still not righteous in all of my day-to-day experiences. And when we think about this, this is why... We desperately need Jesus. This psalm, Psalm 1, drives us to Jesus, who is revealed to be our righteousness. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and I quote, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 1 9 tells us that Jesus, Jesus loved righteousness and hated wickedness. It, in, my, in my experience, I can't always say that. But by faith, Jesus has become my righteousness. In Jesus, I am counted righteous. This, this is by faith, it's not by my works. I don't stand a chance to live a blessed life without Jesus. Without Jesus, I would face judgment. Without Jesus as my Savior, my merciful Savior, I, I would hear him say, I never knew you, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. But Jesus also says in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, I am The good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Psalm 1 reveals that we desperately need Jesus. We are not righteous and because of that we deserve God's judgment. But because of Jesus giving his life, laying down his life for his very own I can be counted righteous. I am counted righteous. Therefore, I won't experience God's judgment. Because I'm counted righteous in Jesus, I have God's favor on my life. I am known by God and that makes me happy. In Jesus, you find the greatest happiness. Psalm 1 teaches us how much we need Jesus, but... This is also, here in Psalm 1, we also learn how we will live in a relationship with Jesus. If we are known by the Lord, if the Lord's blessing and favor are upon us, if we are happy in Jesus, then when we read Psalm 1, we'll take it to heart and we'll seek to live out in our lives, verses 1 and 2, which say, which say, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. One of the things, one of the many blessings of the new covenant is that God puts a desire in our hearts for him, for his law. So when... The Spirit caused us to be born again. He took out a a heart of stone, a stubborn heart that resisted God, and he gave us a new heart. That new heart really is characterized by one that has a new desire for God. And in addition to that, as a part of uh, a person who is alive in Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit that dwells with us that transforms us, that keeps us, that teaches us, that convicts us, that comforts us, that produces in us good fruit that will be for the praise of his glory. So praise God that this psalm drives us to Jesus and we learn that our hope, our blessing is found only in the person of Jesus. We're counted righteous in Jesus but if we find ourselves alive in Jesus, we can also read Psalm 1 knowing that this is the kind of life he will begin to produce in us. So there are several key ways, I think, to respond to Psalm 1. Uh, one, just to be thankful to God. Um, give, give thanks to God for Jesus, who is our righteousness, who loves righteousness and hates wickedness that's true of jesus all of the time that's not true in my natural self all of the time there are times i love righteousness and hate wickedness but there are times i i turn my back towards righteousness and i love wickedness in my flesh that's where i would be but In Christ, I am counted righteous. In Christ, by the Spirit, I am being transformed. And I'm becoming more and more of what Psalm 1 speaks of. More and more, I delight in and meditate in God's law. I care about what He thinks. I want what what He deserves. And so, um, if we read Psalm 1 and take it to heart, I encourage you just to give thanks to God, and in particular, give thanks to God for the righteousness of Jesus that's imputed to your life by faith. When you trust and believe, uh, you are counted righteous before God. Secondly, a, a second way to respond to Psalm 1 is to spend time just examining your own life. It takes humility. Uh, this takes a willingness to uh, be corrected, to learn. Um, what is it that consumes your heart? What do you think about? What do you dream about? Where does your, what is your mind fixed on most of the time? Uh, when, when you have free time, where, where do you go in your thinking and in your desiring? What are you thinking about right now? All of the things that you want to do this afternoon? Or are you thinking about what God is speaking to you through Psalm 1? Um, So spend time examining your own life. What is it that consumes your heart? Um, And then prayerfully cry out to God. Say, God, produce a desire in me more and more for your heart. Pursue God with all of your heart. Um, The Christian life is filled with desire. Desire. Uh, C.S. Lewis, and this is familiar probably to most of you, but it's worth repeating. C.S. Lewis has said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum Because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The Spirit wants to produce in us a desire for God more than anything else. Um, Fourthly, I encourage you to develop the discipline of reading and meditating on the Word so that your desire for God. Will flourish, um, and and pray. God, give me that desire. Uh, think think about the where where can you find the most satisfying happiness? It's it's not in in you know following after fleshly desires. It's going to be delighting in and, and meditating on scriptures day and night because in the Bible you you will find. Jesus. And so we're, we try to order our life in a way that will reflect. We find ways. We, we all have 24 hours in a day. We, we find ways to be up early, to stay up late, uh, to read at lunch breaks, to listen as we drive, uh, put a verse on a card, chew on it, listen to good sermons, turn off the radio, turn off the TV, read a good book. Carve out time to feed your soul. Carve out time to think about God and what he reveals to us through Christ and his word. Um, in, in addition to that, uh, seek every opportunity you can to fellowship. Seek every opportunity to worship. Um, when we fellowship, we come together with other believers and we, we talk about, we share together the things that God is doing in our life we we come with our sorrows we come with our brokenness we say pray for me we come with our joys we we come with uh, just those those sharing moments where we've just seen the hand of God at work in beautiful ways we we come together we look at each other and we may be different on so many different uh, in so many different ways but If we are people who are alive in Christ, if we're followers of Jesus, we come together and share together the most important thing, that that we're known by the Lord, we're counted righteous by faith in Jesus. We have the Spirit of God that dwells with us. The Spirit is at work producing in us a desire to live for the praise of God's glory. We have the hope of glory that that sustains us and keeps us, and so when we're together, we have a chance to fellowship. We have a chance to share that with one another, and then when we come together for worship, it's it's God's intended way for us to recenter our life upon Him. And we we can easily get distracted. We can easily lose our way, and we desperately need. Um, that time to come for corporate worship where we look again to the Lord, making Him central and bringing our our lives into alignment with Him, bringing the desires of our heart into alignment with what He teaches us to desire because we know that there are many good things in life but the thing that we need more than anything else, the thing that is more satisfying than anything else is Him. And so that's why we want to fellowship, that's why we want to worship, that's why we want to meditate on his word day and night, to delight in it, to love it, to enjoy it, because there we'll meet God, we'll grow in our relationship with God. May that be an ever-increasing reality in your life and mine. Let's pray. Father, we are indeed grateful to you for um, the reality of the righteousness of Christ. As we read through Psalm 1, it it exposes the reality that in our sin we are not righteous, but through faith in Christ we're counted righteous and we stand in uh, your, your favors upon us. We stand in your grace. Father, we are a blessed people when we are alive in Christ, when we're counted righteous by faith. We, we are a blessed people. Um, and Father, I'm thankful that your spirit is at work to produce fruit in our life, good fruit. Um, that's good for us, but it also reflects your character, it reflects your work. It's for the praise of your glory so, Father, I'm thankful for this body of believers, and I'm thankful that we can gather together here this morning, not just out of empty habit, but we come together anticipating this time where we can fellowship, we can be edified, we can worship, and Lord, we we just confess that we desperately need your spirit to be at work in us, and we want to thank you for the for the the promise that your spirit will, in fact, be at work in us, producing good fruit because we live a life blessed by you, blessed by Christ. So, Father, thank you. And as we go from here today, I pray that you will be on the forefront of our minds and that as we work and as we carry out all of the various responsibilities that we have, help us to do all of that in a way that will reflect your character for the praise of your glory. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.